This is Pop Fiction Women. I'm Corinne. I'm Kate. And we're complicated. Blunt. Total boss. But sometimes a mess. Opinionated. But never boring. And in this podcast, we're discussing the complicated women of the best books, TV, and movies. Along with the complicated women behind the scenes. Warning, lots of spoilers ahead. So come back when you're done. Hurry up, it's starting. Malibu Rising by Taylor Jenkins Reid. This was a highly anticipated book, as could be noted by the fact that it was an instant New York Times bestseller. So this is her follow-up to Daisy Jones and the Six. Not that it's related at all, but it's her next book after that. We were pretty excited about it. I love siblings. I love family sagas. I love a sprawling narrative. And I think it's living up to what she wanted would be my guess. She, Taylor has not called me to tell me, but that's, that's my guess. <laughs> She's what, not called you? What do you mean? No, she hasn't. Oh, my she, God. Taylor, please call. Please, please call. call. Let me know if it's living up to your standards. You say they're not related, but a lot of people have sort of discussed how yes. they're related, right? I mean, the seven husbands of Evelyn Hugo, Daisy Jones and the Six, and now this. Sort of Mick. look at this theme of, well, yes, okay, Mick Riva, oh, the yep. character. There's a thread through right. that, and there's Easter eggs throughout, but... This exploration of like the celebrity and and rich and famous and mm. and and she first one is about a movie star in the sixties, then a rock yes. star in the seventies, a swimsuit model in the eighties. And she had she had admitted that the next one is set in the nineties. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And they're all historical fiction. Of which so. is blows my mind. Yeah. Because I know. We're in We're Malibu in nineteen eighty three. I mean <laughs> ridiculous i know i think of historical fiction as like an entire it has to be another century it has to be just a a world apart from anyone who's possibly alive and so i have a little bit of a problem with that designation but hey that's what they've decided right she didn't decide that yes but the mick reva link between all three did you pick up on that while reading I didn't remember that that was Evelyn Hugo's third husband and he was mentioned yeah. Daisy Jones and I was really interested in these characters in this standalone own. right but I'm just not lots of people love that Emily Giffen does it and she does it very well I was gonna say and um, it reminded me of Emily Giffen yeah, yeah. but hers but, I mean to bring back like you know some of those characters who you seem to know so well and then kind of she yeah. brings them back so you sort of can see what they're doing now you get like a little glimpse yes, I like that better true. than yeah. just a name that I'm supposed to be finding as some kind of easter egg I, I don't know right yeah yeah but you know Taylor Swift is the queen of it and she so let's talk about the complicated women now we didn't compare notes here oh, who oh. I'm not even sure exactly who we're talking oh, about geez. well I, I yeah. thought of this after because I'm like all Nina, Nina, Nina. And then I'm like, yes. oh, wait, she's going to want to talk about June, maybe some Kit. Yeah. I, I only was thinking about Nina. Yes, I have. And I have another another one on top of that. But oh. it's a lot of Nina's story, mm-hmm. right? This, yes. And for me, Nina is the one who really just is the most alive in these pages, And part of that is I relate very much so being the oldest child, being this girl who grew up in a chaotic place where a lot was put on her shoulders, most of it by her own doing, but some of it by just the the nature of the 
the household. Circumstances, yeah. Yeah, but I mean, it's just something I could relate to. I, I saw a lot of myself and Nina. I also didn't, which was also fun for me to see. I like to relate to someone and then also see them making very different choices than I would. That's where I'm like, I wonder what her sign is because she made different choices than I did. <laughs> oh my God, I love that. And it's interesting because I figured you would relate to her in a lot of ways mm-hmm. for the reasons you just said. And for those reasons, I do not relate to her because I don't relate to her caregiver tendencies at all. To say that I have none is maybe a little harsh on myself, <laughs> but the way she sacrifices everything of herself yeah. for her siblings is like not, does not compute for me. Now, right. given her circumstances, where she really had no other choice. I've obviously not been in those circumstances, but you know, she when sure. you lose your parents and you're the oldest, and if you don't, yeah, take but she care was doing it well yes, before that. Correct, she was doing it well before that. Yeah, correct. And she is the oldest child, like you said, like yourself, mm-hmm. and that's sort of yes, typically part of you know what you do when you have younger siblings. And I am the youngest, especially child, so. right, but especially for an oldest girl yes it just, it just does seem to oldest be this girl prevalent. chaotic household where they need mm-hmm. perhaps another mother or then after her mother mm-hmm. dies a mother none yes. of that you know rings true for me um, sure and then even you know other than the fact that as women i think we've all felt objectified at times i i didn't really relate to you know what what it feels like for Nina as a swimsuit model, like a celebrity of sorts. There's a lot about yeah. her feeling of people only admiring you or valuing you based on your outward appearance or or mm. in her case, who her father is or what her name is. I mean, none of that yeah. really resonates with me, but I still think she did a good job of helping me understand that more. And, you know, we talked mm-hmm. about that. You don't yes. have to relate. I don't have to see myself. It didn't. Mm-hmm. I can understand more of what it was like for her having read it. I do think the interesting part for me about Nina was her struggle to find her voice, like who she really is as a person, what actually makes her happy. That I was all in for. I'm like, right. This I understand. And by the end, you see some growth, which I'm sure we'll talk about. But that I was like, okay, now I understand you, Nina. <laughs> like, and that was more towards the end, honestly. Yes. So that part, and really that was spoke the part me. I didn't relate to. And I, yeah. I love that we're like tag teaming mm-hmm. Nina here. Yeah, totally. <laughs> it's like I, I can step in as the one who relates, and then you step in the the one who relates. And what about June? June was definitely someone I wanted to talk about. She was of a different generation, yeah, but I don't was. know. I think she was just so taken by the fantasy, by the promise of it all, by the potential of it all. Someone asked Taylor about this sort of broader question of, you know, you write about women from, you know, different generations, the 60s with Evelyn Hugo, the 70s for Daisy Jones, now Nina in the 80s. And, you know, do you is do you think that, you know, women are doing better now? Meaning like a lot of this hopefully... You write about situations they're in or how they're treated or how they're but but do you think it's now people reading it today are going, oh, well, thank God that doesn't happen anymore. And she's like, no, I think that yeah. this all yeah. still happens. Like you're saying, you could still see or know someone that could make the same choices as June or Nina. She's saying that she writes about these women from the past, but a lot of this is still happening. 
Yeah. And I, I think June, you're right. June, I think she was in love. She had this love and it wasn't, it didn't reach its full potential. Not at all. Yes. But it was as far as she was going to get, I think, karmically in, in this life. Yeah. I don't think there was more for her there. Right, right. And that very much could happen today. Absolutely. Absolutely. I mean, that's not a problem of generations past. That no. is a, a, a real thing. And she was focused um, on her kids. I mean, mm-hmm. we, we all know how that can be. And she's, you know, she was also yeah. trying to provide for them because he was not. And yeah, every day it was just, what can I do for them? And yeah. And a drink. And she, yeah. <laughs> that was yeah. what it was well, for June. Got, that's what got her. Yeah. Yeah. And we're going to talk about that. And then there was Kit, Kit, the younger sister. Yeah. I like Kit. Who I like Kit too. Spunky. Yes. She was is not what a traditional baby of the family, right? She's not pampered. She's more independent. She's more, I mean, I guess the fourth child, I don't know. It depends, I guess, but she looks like she was, even though she was not fending for herself quite, you know, that she had, it's not like she didn't have family, but there, there was an independence to her that I really appreciated. Yeah. And I felt like Kit was struggling with the whole, as the youngest child, nobody, not that they didn't pay attention to her. They were just sort of saw her as the baby and not as mm-hmm. the person she'd become, which there's a lot in this about the roles we play in our family, obviously, yes. and how you kind of get stuck in those roles. We we just talked about that with Karen Slaughter. Like you just can't get out of if you're the oldest or you're the middle child or the youngest. You kind of always, baby. when you're with yeah. your family, and that's what she was. And, and they just didn't see her any other way, even though she was kind of pushing back on them and, you know... Jay's known as the surfer, but apparently she's probably better than him. But they're just yeah, like, hey, you're yeah. Kit, you know, you're the little yeah. one. And there was actually a yeah. line when she was wearing a dress and mm-hmm. Jay like mocked her. But I was like, like, what are you wearing? You know, mm-hmm. and it was how how were you supposed to change in ways both big and small when your family was always there to remind you of exactly the person you apparently signed an ironclad contract to be. And mm-hmm. I just think that's so true. It's like I can so see that happening. Like I if you like try yeah. to break out of your role and they're like, what are you doing? Yeah, well, but you know, I, so that I'm so glad you brought that up because it it transitions well into what I was going to talk about with her was her sexuality, yeah, right. And so, was it because because you know you know me and the seeing thing? Sometimes I would think Kit would describe that being seen in that scene by Jay as an anchor, one that is dragging her down yes. and doesn't let her change and grow, but to play the other side is it that he just sees her like who are you because because we know through the through the this book she is trying to kind of convince herself that she's she's gonna she has a a motive she wants to go kiss a boy tonight this is like her thing this is gonna happen for her and it's not her and so maybe that dress was part of it. Oh. And he was just like calling her out. Like, this isn't you. What are you doing? That's and she was kind point. of being someone she wasn't. And That's at the end, good. she comes to the point of going, you know what? I know exactly who I am. And, right. you know, I like girls. And that's right. that's all there is to it. Right. Uh, I saw it which, as the anchor yeah. just because I see uh, like so many of these family roles as anchoring you in the position that you've been in in your family but you're right maybe he was just like what are you doing like you don't wear dresses because that's not your thing like this is not who you are don't try to pretend to be who you are something else 
Right. Yeah. Maybe it's maybe it's always both. Yeah. Right. Well, maybe it's go. always an anchor mm-hmm. and a mirror. What about Ashley? I wanted to talk about Ashley. Oh my God! I didn't even think of Ashley. Okay, talk about Ashley. She's in a. I mean, she's a complicated woman here. She is moving from one brother to the other. That's but fair. Jay obviously thinks it's not very <laughs> not okay at all. Hud is more aware of how it all developed and that it's not as you know bad as it might seem on the surface kind of thing but I I don't know I just found her to be she was in a very unlikable predicament and yet I never disliked her yes that's a good point actually that's a really good point and she was sort of the one that's like, listen, Hud, like, you, like basically, you got to deal with this. Like, you know, right. you got to tell him and, you know, we're in love. And I, 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 I think that's a good point. It reminded me a little of Rachel from Something Borrowed, ah, right? Okay. A very unlikable predicament. Right. But you're her, rooting for her nonetheless. And Ashley doesn't seem to be playing games with either one of them. Yeah, no, they're like Emily Giffen. Taylor has drawn a really complex three-dimensional woman. She also kind of shined for me. And there's another one, but I, but I'm going to save her. We're going to talk about her later. Okay. But she's another complicated woman. So let's get, well, let's get into scenes because that's where we'll find her. Excellent. All right. So my first scene is a collection of, well, it's, I mean, it's a collection of pages. Oh, a montage of sorts? <laughs> yeah. Well, yeah, I guess it is. It's a montage we of sorts. It is montage in a movie. When, yeah, it's when the siblings discover surfing. I don't nice. know. I just really, I don't love surfing. I'm not a surf head. Mm. Malibu's beautiful. I'm not a Malibu head. Like, I am, this is not... I, I, but I was still so swept away. Mm-hmm. So it starts on page 117. And I think probably the way she started it was why I was kind of hooked into it. And then the way she draws it all out. But wait, let me get to 117. They're all at the restaurant helping June work. And of course, no one is doing it harder and more earnestly than Nina. And June just isn't having it. And she says, Nina, take your brothers and sister and go to the beach. And Nina wants to protest. She says she wanted to clean the tables because who else would clean them? But June says, go. June says her voice impatient. Nina thought she was in trouble. June believed she was setting her free. And oh, Mm. this is just on a personal level. This is just something I struggle with all the time because my daughter is a not a firstborn she is no there's no reason for her to be this way except I guess she has my DNA because I am that way and she is always taking on more responsibility than she needs to especially at her age and I am constantly struggling with the fact that she's super helpful to me but I don't want her to be I don't want her to have any part of it and I'm constantly telling it is not your responsibility to do this and she does it with everybody the, they forgot one of, you know, because it was a crazy COVID year this year, they forgot one of her classmates' birthdays. And they everybody was very upset. The teacher was upset. All the classmates were upset. And my daughter was like, now I am, I have taken it upon myself to remember everyone's birthday all oh year next year. Oh, my God. Yeah. Which is something I would totally do. And oh. then 
And I'm like, I love that you want to do that. I love how thoughtful and kind and caring and loving that you are. But I also need you to know that that is not your responsibility. It is Mm -hmm. not your responsibility to have remembered this girl's birthday. It is not your responsibility to remember everyone's birthday. And it's such a struggle. And so that line for me, I don't know, it just, man, it punched me right in the heart. It really Mm -hmm. did. And that, oh. and that difference of, I know it when I say it to her, she's too young to understand the nuance of it, but she thinks she's in trouble. She thinks I'm yelling at her. And I, this happens oh. all the time when she's helping me. She thinks I'm, I'm upset that she's helping me or that I'm upset that she wants to do this nice thing. And, and, and so I know it's because for her to understand because yes, she's like, but I'm is. being helpful. Yes. And I'm like, no, it is not your responsibility. And and just the whole that is exactly what I'm trying to do. And I would have never articulated that way. But what I am trying to do is set, set her, her free. free. Mm. Oh, my <sighs> God. Is this so, her Pisces? Like, she, like oh, I'm thinking of the birthdays. Like she probably feels oh, so much for this poor kid whose birthday was missed. Like, immensely. absolutely. Oh, P- Pisces very sensitive, very mm-hmm. intuitive, empathetic, also just caretakers, yes. really. So yeah. Wow. Um, yeah. So so that line really got me. But then the whole, and then it continues to unfold. They start body surfing and you see each one of them go and just the way she described it all, I was really into it. And then they find one lone surfboard and they each try it and mm. I, the whole thing. And then it culminates with they have they give it back and it's not there the next and the mom says if yeah. it's there the next day you can keep it and it's not there but then on christmas morning their christmas tree is out on the beach and there's four surfboards yes. i just thought that whole I thing was that. so mm-hmm. lovely and there uh, for a book kind of about surfing there's not a lot of surfing but that was <laughs> that that really really so got true. me I was like yes. I was so happy to know the origins of their love of surfing because right. living in Malibu just wasn't wasn't quite enough for me and no, this that this backstory I, that landed piece, yeah, yeah is big I agree I loved it I, I love that I'm gonna return to surfing so don't you worry Okay. All right. Where where are we going next? Um, mine is on one ninety one. I don't know if you have. Something oh, to I got one more then okay, before good. you. Mine are at the end. So. Okay. Yeah. No, I've got some stuff at the end too. But so after that wonderful, lovely, touching, sweet, wholesome montage, my next scene <laughs> is June's death. <gasps> oh yeah. Man. Okay. That. Yeah destroyed me that really destroyed me her accidental suicide I don't know what we're calling it but I mean I think it is is. I mean it's not good no right I well it's not clear whether she intended to die I don't think she intended to die but but she she, drinks too much and put herself she was doing a lot of making a lot of bad decisions again (laughs) yes yes so so we know that Nina is 17 and so I'm glad they're a little bit older, but everyone's out for the night. They're all old enough to have plans for the night. And June is left at home, I think, on a, probably a rare night, home alone. And, you know, I, I, I kind of was settling in for like a really nice night. I thought she's going to, you know, have something to herself. She's going to have some epiphany. Oh, she doesn't need anyone no. else. She's, you know, she's whole on her own, blah, blah, blah. No. Well, so the trouble starts on the top of page 145. 
when she finds out that Mick has gotten married for a fifth time at the age of 42 to a 24-year-old model. June lit a cigarette and sipped her vodka, and then she buried her head in her hands and bawled her eyes out. The cry came from her stomach, bubbled over within her, and emerged from her throat in gasps and screeches. Oh. Mm. She stubbed out her cigarette and threw herself onto the sofa. She let the sobs run through her body. He was never coming back. She should have listened to her mother all those years ago, but she had been a fool since the day he'd shown up. She'd been a fool her whole life. And then she continues drinking. But I love this this moment. She has she puts on an old McRiva record, his second album. Oh, she yeah. listens to Warm June over and over and over again. And with each go round on the record player, she'd poured herself another glass. She had, she'd meant something to him. He could never take that away from her. And we know that that's true. We it know is that true. he. Yeah, it is true. God, yeah, and but when then, someone writes a song for you, I mean, you know, that's like my... I can't. Uh, I right. can't even. I mean, you know, if, right. if no one's written a song for me for the record. But if they had, <laughs> but you know, that's like my dream could, come true. I mean, I wrote yeah. a novel with a freaking singer-songwriter. Like, I, that is like, if you want to get to me, that would be it right there. And so I'm with her. Yeah. I'm like, oh my God. Yeah. And she married the father of her children, the well, love of her life, who wrote this song for her, has now married a fifth person. And yeah. I'm just going to well, sit you, there with this song on. <laughs> I, I have had a song written for me. I know. Let me tell you. I'm so it's, jealous. It, it is everything you want it to be I, I and more. Either. I mean, it's, it's, I, it could, the only, the next step for me would be to hear it on the radio, but. Oh, yes. I mean, yeah. which the, that, that what, would be But still. But, and so if this were me, yeah. I could, I would be there. I'd be just, I know this was the 80s. There was no repeat on your phone but i would just <laughs> sit there with it well on she did on a record player yeah like, you're over right and over i and guess over. you can do it that way yeah but then she rested her arms along the walls of the tub released her head back and breathed in the warm air she closed her eyes she felt like she could stay in this bath for an eternity and everything would was going to be fine it was her last conscious thought 45 minutes later she drowned june riva that once tender-hearted dreamer was gone mm. oh i mean i was like really teary at that point i was like june that's no. so sad i wanted more for you june i yes. wanted more for you i really uh, did it was uh, heartbreaking really uh, it heartbreaking. really was i know june <sighs> and then all right for so nina to find her i'm sorry just oh like, yeah uh, i know it, yeah and then i had you know flag the quote right there on 146 after she finds her and it says the moment nina fully understood that her mother was dead was the moment she understood there was no one left in the world to count on to lean on to trust to believe in and you're like oh this is where nina this mm -hmm. is the, the there's as we talk about in a lot of things there's like the before and after moment and for mm -hmm. nina this is it i mean there's there's her life before her mother died and now her life after and Huh, the, interesting. Yeah. I would have said that before and after was when Mick left. I mean, oh. that was... Oof. It was, but she was young, and this, yeah. like, I don't know, I think a mother and That daughter. makes it worse. Yeah, it is, no, oh, that's it's true. so much worse. Cause like, yeah, no, it's true. Because I mean, after she Mick was... left, 
Nina was like her mom's little helper and her mom's yeah. person. I don't know. This was much I know, worse but, for me. But Nina, when she was always skeptical of him, and then he finally stayed long enough to win her over, oh, and then he bad. left. I, know. I mean, oh, I know. you can never... Uh, you can never Daddy issues. Again. We're going to get... Oh, yeah. <laughs> both. Both. Yes. She's got both. You're yeah. absolutely right. Poor Nina. Yeah. Oh, God. So what do you got for another So song? mine is on... Starts around 190 to 192. Like that, that, that scene where we find out about how Nina's husband tells her that he's leaving and he's in love with someone else or he's just basically out of their marriage and this is when Nina finds out that you know her husband has left her and she says she sat down on the front stoop of her home to gather herself only then did it really sink in that her husband was leaving her for another woman she began to cry without even realizing it wiping her cheeks but unable to keep up with the tears her eyes grew red and swollen she could not move from her place on the stoop heavy and dead like an anchor tied to nothing she cried until the sun started to set, until the birds settled into their trees. She'd have to tell her siblings he was gone. She felt embarrassed, thinking of how excited she'd been to take them to Bora Bora. She grew cold, sitting outside in Brandon's underwear. And then she stood up and dried her eyes, and she thought of June. She'd lived this all before, of course, watching her mother go through it. And this is the part I really love. Family histories repeat, Nina thought. For a moment, she wondered if it was pointless to try to escape it. Maybe our parents' lives are imprinted within us. Maybe the only fate there is, is the temptation of reliving their mistakes. Maybe, try as we might, we will never be able to outrun the blood that runs through our veins. Or, or maybe we are free the moment we're born. Maybe everything we've ever done is by our own hands. Nina wasn't sure. She just knew that somehow, after everything that had happened in her life, she had ended up all alone on the front stoop, left behind by a man she had dared to trust. Oh my God. So this, yeah. I was like, the, there's so many things here. I mean, the fate versus free will that we love, you know, how much mm -hmm. of it is preordained, how much of it is in our own hands, and then just how much do we, you know pass on uh, yeah. of our own shit as parents yeah. to our kids yeah. and and this was a big theme for for taylor jenkins reed she talks about this a lot about what she wanted to explore in this and she said for me i think it ended up being very much a story about generations families can perpetuate cycles and also break cycles i didn't set out for it too but it's made me very introspective about my role as a parent what are the things I want to give my daughter and what are the things I have collected along the way that I really hope I don't give her? That introspection kind of snuck up on me in this one. I think I'm a different person and I think I'm a more thoughtful parent because of this book. And it's, I, huh. I mean, I, I know. It's, it's one of those things with that writer's subconscious. Like, I don't think that's what she meant mm -hmm. to be writing about here, mm -hmm. right? She, she wanted to be writing about celebrity and fame and he, but then right. she's like oh shit i think this was me struggling with this idea of you know what we do as parents and what we pass on and how much of it is their own choices and i don't know i loved that 
you know, maybe we're free the moment we're born, but and maybe everything we've done is by our own hands. But I don't know, or maybe it's the blood that runs through our veins. Yeah, I don't buy it at all. I'd like to believe that. I I think I did believe that for a lot of my youth, but I don't really believe it. I really don't. Since I in like Taylor, like that quote you just read, I had not really understood it until I became a parent. Yeah, and seeing like three generations. And in my case, I have four generations alive yeah, at the same amazing. time. And it's like when I when I see like a quality that gets warped from, you know, my grandmother to my dad or from my dad to me and or from me to one of my kids. And it just I know that that's not that's not by choice. I mean, that is right. That is, so it's the part is, she's saying maybe our parents' lives yeah. are imprinted within us. I feel that yeah, part. I do. Absolutely. And uh, frankly, to be totally honest, it wasn't until you told me your kids' signs, all of their collective signs, and 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 then my kids too. But like, they're you you never get you know some random sign. It's how how does that work? Where your child has the same elements that you have, or yeah. your husband, or a combination of them. I mean, it is, it's pretty eerie to me. Like, that just goes to show, like, there's no way for us to be separate from that DNA. It's, you just yeah. can't. You just and, can't. It's, you're living it out though, in every way. A hundred percent. I agree with you. Although, I think she's right in this is what we always talk about then layered on top of that of course is free will and are you know choices but they're so intertwined i mean yeah because our choices end up being dictated by the thing what's imprinted right Right. (laughs) it's like when you have an alcoholic father and you're like i will never be an alcoholic well that's my choice but yet is it really a choice or is it just choosing the opposite yes of what you, you're right, right? or like, making choices to make sure you don't become that alcoholic but that means right. you're still being guided or or led it, by that underlying it, thing <laughs> right right yeah yeah so i don't know i i i believe the free will aspect is is less less of a of a force than than we all like Ooh, to and think. how many times do we i mean Jeez, I hope my mother doesn't listen that often. But as I say this, but, you know, <laughs> where I'm like, I do not, well, I will not be like my mother. Not, and then I like do the very thing and I see mm-hmm. it and I go, and you are exactly like, that. Yeah. <laughs> it's just, I yeah. think I'm affirmatively choosing not to be, but it, it there is obviously something in me that is just doing it anyway. So, right. Right. And which yeah. one is the which one is the choice or the non-choice? It's like, you know, you're you're kind of damned if you do, damned if you don't. You're choosing to not be like something and then end up being it. It just it makes the free will argument I think even weaker, but Right. And Nina yeah. watched what happened with June and Mick and I'm sure mm-hmm. she's like I will not have a marriage like that. And then she's yeah. crying on the stoop and it's like, "Oh my god, I'm my mother." Like I have seen this right. movie and Is now this it's so me. different. Yeah. No? Is this so different? Mm-hmm. I know. So, oh, yeah. I love that yeah. scene. Yeah. Yeah, that was that was good. 
And what do you got next? Um, 271. The um, Yes, me too. Yes. That's my next one. The Carrie yeah. Soto screaming on the lawn scene. So that was the other woman that I feel like could have comp- could have qualified for our complicated women segment. Oh, Carrie. Carrie. Soto. Yes. I mean, oh, that's she- 100%. Carrie Soto is Nina's husband's girlfriend if you will the woman that she he left her for who's also a tennis player and (laughs) you're right we do get scenes or little bits about her and how she's obviously like the equivalent of you know venus williams or whatever on the tour Mm -hmm. like she is the number one woman uh badass she's also the one this is actually a really good point you're right she's the one that the reason he falls for her is because she's the one that kind of got him out of his funk and is basically Mm -hmm. like dude just like play tennis like what is wrong with you like like kind of helped him with his mental game which of course then made him like fall for her but he leaves her to decide to go back to Nina and so she's pissed and she shows up at the party and there is a bunch where she's like screaming at him like what did I tell you when we first slept together Brandon what did I say did I say to you that I wasn't gonna sleep with another woman's husband unless it was for something real Yes, but, and did I tell you that you better not fuck with my heart? Did I tell you that, Brandon? Carrie, I believe my exact words, you son of a bitch, were, if I fall in love with you, don't fuck me over. He's like, I don't know if, no, don't argue with me. That's what I said. So she's just like laying into him. And she says, Mm -hmm. you woke up this morning after making love to me the night before. And when I got off the phone with room service to order us raw almonds, Mm -hmm. you said, and I quote, oh my God, you're awful. What the fuck have I done? And and then they both notice that Nina is standing there. Mm-hmm. And she's like, Nina, Carrie interrupted, I'm sorry, I shouldn't have taken up with him and I shouldn't be airing all of this dirty laundry and ruining your party. So, so she's the adulterer, whatever, the mistress, but like you already kind of like her. I don't know about you. I oh, was yeah. like, she's oh, totally. like giving him the fucking business. Like you're an yeah. asshole. And Uh like, hey, sorry, Nina, didn't mean to interrupt your party, but I just had to come here to tell your husband what an asshole he is. Yeah. Yeah. And and you're like, yeah, totally. Go Mm -hmm. go forward. And and Nina does too, right? So Nina, this love, I love it. She's like, Nina continued staring at Carrie, but didn't say anything. How was it that this woman could shout every thought running through her head? Why was it that Carrie Soto felt entitled to scream? In that moment, Nina was not mad or jealous or embarrassed or anything else she might have expected. Nina was sad. Sad that she never lived a fraction of a second like Carrie Soto. What a world she must live in, Nina thought, where you can piss and moan and stomp your feet and cry in public and yell at the people who hurt you. That can dictate, that you can dictate what you will and will not accept. Nina, her entire life, had been programmed to accept. Accept that your father left. Accept that your mother is gone. Accept that you must take care of your siblings. Accept that the world wants to lust after you. Accept, accept, accept. For so long, Nina had believed it was her greatest strength that she could withstand, that she could endure, that she could accept it all and keep going. It was so foreign to her, the idea of declaring that something was unacceptable. Nina thought of herself driving to someone else's house to scream on their front lawn while a whole party's worth of people watched. It was so impossible that she couldn't even summon a mental picture. 
But Carrie had this fire within her. Where was Nina's fire? Had it ever been there? And if so, when did it go out? Oh, God. Yeah. I, I, I love so, so good. I loved this. Yeah. I loved this so much for so many of the reasons you've already said. Carrie's a badass. I'm mm-hmm. totally not hating her, even though she's been put in a position to, like Ashley, been put in position to have me hate her. And I don't at all. But this really got me because I am oddly Nina and Carrie. And the interesting oh. thing is, yeah, I am Nina to the or was Nina to the world. But in relationships, I have always been Carrie. When it's mm. like when it's the one on one, it's this this is the intimate relationship. This is you know, me and you, we're in this. We've made a choice. This isn't family. This is choice. This is, we're in this. And I have never let a single emotion go. I I express it all and scream and cry and stomp my feet and say, what the fuck have you done? And every bit of it. And so that was a real oh, <laughs> bizarre moment to see these two women having these different experiences and for me to understand them both in that same moment was really kind of trippy for me I I really loved that oh I could see that yeah oh my gosh because they're juxtaposed there and I I look at it as Nina's aha moment where she's Mm -hmm. like oh shit you're allowed to be like that and for you it's like you're both those things I love that yeah yeah and the only place I was allowed to be it in my mind was in that just in in your intimate relationship it in your you know with your boyfriend with you know it had to be that level of intimate relationship no family no you know because family never leaves but somehow you're still afraid they could or would or maybe it's just her responsibility to take care of them whatever yeah. it is I haven't thought that deeply about it but it was the difference between that and with with someone I loved I I never wanted it to be obligation it's like you have to be with me and to be with me I have to know I have to tell you exactly who I am and exactly who I am is pissed off right now and yeah like, let's yeah. hash this out and so I I had never really thought about it and I'm just starting to process it all but how you can be a little bit of both or both the I'm 90% Nina and and just in that 100% Carrie but only in that tiny sliver of life yeah it it was crazy crazy. yeah that's and what interesting yeah what did you relate to so the thing is I I feel like I don't relate to Nina normally as I said before but but I I have been that kind of person in relationships, but I've also been carried. Like I've been both, but I think that when you can be the carry, like you're saying, mm. in a relationship, that that's that's the best scenario. Like mm. I agree with you. I think when you feel like you can show all those sides and scream and be like I'm pissed, or <laughs> or be like you know obviously the opposite, whatever those that the ability to sort of show all your emotions I think that's the the sweet spot but I think Mm. that I have been Nina a lot 
which and mm. then gone wait like wait what the fuck like wow yeah. <laughs> right. why am i not why have i just been taking this again yes and why am i not living in color and you know <laughs> but i've been you know but i've also been carrying in other situations like i mm-hmm. i yeah I, uh, I can do the screaming in other yeah. situations outside of yeah. relationships too so it is i just i think you're right i think by this scene by putting them next to each other you know i bet most readers can see little bits of themselves mm. i think it's great and yeah. i love that the 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 other woman like we're saying is is someone where you're like because at first when when they're describing her i mean she seems a little obnoxious you know on the tennis circuit or whatever like she's a little but but then by this scene i'm like oh i fucking i love carrie oh yeah loved her and yeah. i love that she was like i just showed up to tell him you can't fucking do this she doesn't want yeah. him back she doesn't yes. she's no delusions about anything she's like no he just needs to know you cannot he needs to hear that. this mm-hmm. yeah you're not that's not okay yeah. yeah i love it i do too and just something i hadn't i don't think i've really seen before that was just a, a juxtaposition that i don't think we've really seen before i yeah. li- i oh, really liked that do you have any more because i think oh my no, next no more scenes okay good then this is my last one so i i wrote my scene these last two scenes by the words that last scene was except to me a c c e pt because she says it right. over and over and over yeah. and then i've got another one this is capable Ooh. oh yes this oh, is great right i know what yeah. you're talking about yep so mick and i is, put this is find her voice it's so funny. My, that mm. one was aha moment and this is find her voice. Okay. okay. <laughs> yeah, I think that's right. I think that describes it from the character's point of view uh, beautifully. This is when Mick is at the Reba's party and he is kind of trying to have a, a half-assed reckoning with, with his children. And he says, you know, I they're asking him what's different why are you coming why why are we going to trust you now and he says i'm trying to explain to you why i wasn't capable of being a father until now nina shook her head if there were any real if you were any real kind if you were any kind of real parent you would know that capable has nothing to do with it mick frowned at her inside do you think mom felt capable of raising four children on her own holding her head up high when the whole world knew you left her twice, making all of the money and doing all of the housework and helping each of us with our homework, making every single one of our birthdays special despite having no money and no time, remembering that Jay likes chocolate cake and with buttercream and Kit likes coconut cake and Hud likes yellow cake with chocolate frosting, always having the perfect number of candles. Do you think I felt capable of taking it all over after she fucking drowned? Do you think I felt capable of trying to pay the bills and still scraping up enough money for coconut and at the fucking Malibu Mart? Do you think I felt capable of holding each one of these guys as they woke up in the middle of the night remembering that they had essentially been orphaned? Do you think I wanted to drop out of high school so I could do it all? That I would be 25 years old without a high school diploma? I didn't feel capable of any of that. But what but did that matter? Of course not. So I've gotten up every single day since mom died and even a lot of the days before that and I have done what I needed to do. Capable is a question I never had the luxury of asking because my family needed me and unlike you, I understand how important that is. Whew. Oh, so good. So good. 
so good. It's so good. And I just, that is how I feel so much as a mother. That capable is really not in my vocabulary. I don't, I rarely feel capable of of everything that I do. And it's not- yeah, it's not a it's not a thing. It's yeah. not a thing. You have to just, to just do, it. do it. Yeah. yeah. I I have that as like her finding her voice because, you know, finally I feel like this is sort of in terms of her arc or her growth that she's now like wait a second. Like I'm she's tired. She's tired of yeah. of her husband's bullshit now of her dad coming back with his bullshit right. and i loved that she finally i felt like said what she wanted to say you know and i don't uh, think she does that often yes absolutely i agree and in fact that paragraph goes on to say you know her dream and she she tells her dream of of running off and to, is it portugal i can't remember mm-hmm. yeah portugal to live in a shack on the beach yeah. riding waves and then and-, and it's the first time her siblings hear that and and they're behind her, which was really lovely and nice. But that's all leads into her seen. damage nicely, actually. Okay, I feel like. all right. Don't you think? All right. I mean, we can talk about daddy issues and mommy issues, but just on that point, you know, I thought what her best friend, Tareen, I think is how you say it, said about her that flows from that is, you know, she said something on two thir- page 232 about how basically all your issues go back to one thing, which is I suspect you've not lived a single day for yourself. And that is so true. I mean, that's exactly what you're you're just, we're talking about. Like she has done everything for everyone else. And that's just been how she's lived her life. And she never really thought, nor did anybody else in her family, well, what does she want? I read that Taylor Jenkins reads that I think I wanted very much to signal to the people in the world who are the ones who are always holding it together for everybody else that maybe you can sit down. Maybe somebody else can hold it together for a minute and you don't always have to hold on to that burden. I don't know. It's not easy to put down though. As as simple as that sounds, <sighs> yeah, it's not no. easy. <laughs> yeah. No. For no. for those of us programmed that way. Yeah. So I do think there's clearly some daddy issues. Yeah. You know? yeah. yeah. Hence why she yeah. chose Brandon. You're right mm-hmm. that she also has some mommy issues mm-hmm. with June. I also had her as, there was a comment, which maybe, I don't know if it's just it's just personal to me. I have it as too self-sufficient. Because Kit is trying at one point, you know, to tell Nina, listen, if you ever need to talk, you know, she's she's trying to be sort of the big sister in that moment, you know, because yeah. she, she knows that her Nina's husband has left her. And clearly she's like, listen, I'm sure you might need someone to talk. I'm paraphrasing here. And and she, you know, is like, yeah, whatever, you know, and mm-hmm. thanks, but no thanks, you know, and. There is a line, too much self-sufficiency was sort of mean to the people who loved you, Kit thought. You robbed them of how good it feels to give, of their sense of value. And I was like, ooh. Mm, like, for me, I was like, ooh, I think I do that to people. Like, yeah. don't worry. I don't, I'm good. You know, I don't need yeah. your help. And 
I don't really know how to let people comfort me. And right. that line maybe, you know, it's even what we say about a complicated woman. She wants you, but she doesn't need you. Yeah. But like, if you don't let, if, if you don't need anyone, then the mm. people around you never get to feel good that they're Ooh. adding value. You know, I mean, wow. that's what Kit's saying. You're robbing me of how good it feels to give. Because you're that, like, yeah, I don't need it. You know, yeah. nice, but I don't need it. Yeah, so I don't know. That I is, heard that and I was like, ooh, I think that I is that to people. <laughs> that is good. Yeah, that is. I I think I had always coupled that kind of self-sufficiency with caretaking. Like I'm the one who has to keep it together. And and frankly, you and I had a conversation not that long ago about this and how when I have certain kinds of bad days and I talk to my husband about it, and he can't handle it because I think it feels too destabilizing to him. I'm the, I'm the, what did I say? I think I'm the rudder on this ship. The or I'm the, uh-huh. Yeah. And so I'm the one who has to keep us in the right direction. And if, if not, he's afraid we'll all drown and sink. And, but I couple that because I am like that too, but I couple that with my caregiving, but it isn't the same the way you've just isolated it there. It is something different. That's yeah. really interesting. Hmm. I don't know. I know. I I don't think this was supposed to be such like a big moment. Oh, but, it, <laughs> but like I for don't me, know. I was like, ooh, I feel I, like, yeah, because kids just like, listen, you know, if you need to talk or if you ever need to cry about anything, like I really like I can listen. And yeah. Nina's like, thank you, but I'll be fine. And you okay, can see how can we... if you're the other person, you're like, right. oh, shit. Okay, I guess you don't need my help. Thanks. Bye. Yes. Okay, but here's where uh, <laughs> I, I'm not letting this one go. I'm sorry. I'm obsessed now. <laughs> but but and I, I think we may have talked about this or, or maybe not. But here's what I'm saying. I'm like. Because well, they don't know how to do it right. <laughs> right. <laughs> say so like am i robbing them of that ability or they or they, should they get they, better at it yeah i mean <laughs> i don't know i mean I i'm with know. you clearly uh, but it did make me think that perhaps yeah. i don't come across as someone who's willing that i'm too self-sufficient that i don't want their help but yes deep down i'm like well learn how to fucking help me right and i'll be right. totally on board <laughs> kind of and it's kind never of. If it makes me feel, I, first of all, I don't think I don't think asking anyone else for comfort or whatever right. she's saying has ever made the other person feel good. She's saying, "If you ever need to talk about anything, I'm here to listen." Right, but when I've yes. reached out to people and be like, "I need to talk about this," I, I don't think the other person feels good. I think the other person feels freaked out. I don't know how to help you. Yeah, I don't. I can't help you with that. I don't know how to help that. But you're right. But you're reaching out. What if they just said to you, like, "Oh, I, I know you're going through something. Like, if you ever want to talk." And what if they really meant it? And you're like, "Yeah, I'm good." And so then that person, right? Really... But but what if then they take? What if instead they take you up on it? I, I mean, we've done this. You've yeah. I've done this to you. Does that make you feel good? Oh, I, I just know. wonder. Is that actually true? It makes me feel good when people reach out to me because I'm a caregiver, and now I see why I find them so intertwined. But but I know that, and you can answer it because I've done it to you. But but I can speak very specifically when I reach out to my husband on certain things, and I'm like, I really need, I need to talk about this. He freaks out. It destabilizes his whole world, and so right. I don't. Th- 
so Kit's point is, I think, not a good one in some circumstances because I don't think my husband would say, oh, it made me feel really good that you reached out. I think he would be like, God, don't ever do that again. Right, but that's because I would go back to it depends who's reaching out like and what the circumstances mm, are. Oh, See, okay. him reaching out to you like you pointed out, I mean, you reaching out to him, I'm sorry, does, right. I think, destabilize things because you're supposed to be in charge and that freaks right. him out or whatever. Whereas... Right. I have friends who ask me, who reach out for things, and I know that they view me as like a, a sort of a trusted advisor. They respect mm-hmm. what I have to say. And so, yeah, I do feel good. I'm like, okay. And I know they'll listen. And and what I, I'm not saying they'll do everything I say, but they, they right. really value my opinion. And okay. they're like, I appreciate that. And that, that makes me feel good. There are also okay. people who reach out and they'll never fucking listen to a word I say and I want to kill them. Because I'm like, why do you keep asking me? Because <laughs> right, I'm telling you what to do and you don't want to do, do it. <laughs> You're a person who just wants to repeat things and then go back to right. doing what you want to do. So right. those people okay. I can't deal with. But, okay. you know, right. but I could see right. in a marriage, that one's a little, yeah, it's all yeah. a little all right. different. Well, I think it's flattering sometimes, though. Yes, I people. I would like to put a call out to anyone who knows me. Has my <laughs> reaching out to you ever made you feel good? Because I'm going to guess there's zero people on the face of the earth. I know you're trying to like say it's my husband, but I don't think there's anyone in the world who has been on the receiving end of a Corinne panic phone call wait, or email wait. and well, this is and me. they felt good about it. Okay, tell, tell, tell me. Tell how I am so flattered and I feel so like special that you would actually ask me and then I'm terrified, <laughs> terrified because I don't, know if i'll be able to live up to the challenge like that's terrifying so i'm with him it's scary it's fucking scary i think that's how most people feel when it comes to me i don't because know we're like what... we're gonna we're gonna fuck it up like we can't yeah. like we can't we can't get it right okay and you know i like to get everything right so I'm like, oh God, this is a serious child. Okay. I'm like, whew. I like take a deep breath and I'm like, okay, let me think about this. Let me, you know. Oh my God. I was crying. Okay, crying. Yes. Okay. Okay. Do we have any more damage? No, no. Okay. I mean, other than our own, but yeah. <laughs> and there's plenty of that. I know, but we it don't just, have enough time for that. It so. just keeps on coming. <laughs> okay all right so what what she said is that where we are yes taylor we've already talked about once before so we have we have but we have a development since the last time we when we did daisy jones we had a recent development for taylor now we did daisy jones pretty early in you know in our feed like when we kind of were just starting this and we hadn't really locked into the fact that we were always looking up the astrological signs of right of our authors or creators and even when we had taylor is very stealth she Mm. does not post on her birthday you know when our social media stalking has been very dry and clearly not a leo exactly (laughs) Mm -hmm. and and nothing on wikipedia nothing on her website nothing and we were doing our six-month anniversary episode and 
I, I was doing a full tally at that point, which I've since abandoned, but we'll leave that alone. A full tally of all of our creators to find out what the most common astrological sign or were there any patterns in these in these really in these creators that we adored and I dm'd her and I said I can't I I don't remember I said I don't remember why I said I said we're oh we're doing I think I said we're doing a tally and we we we're yours is the only one we're missing and she dm'd me back and said she was a Sagittarius and it was such a wonderful moment I felt like that was the biggest victory I'd had I'd had in so long (laughs) I was and I was so happy to know and so happy that she responded and thought it was a delightful question and answered it because it is if you don't post about your birthday and you don't put that out there it could be considered an invasive question I mean we joke about it all the time we stalk people's Instagram looking for clues about their birthdays and so it can be an invasive thing and she was very open and welcome and she told us she was a Sagittarius so we now can officially say Taylor Jenkins Reid Sagittarius we don't know her birthday but we do know her sign and that's the most important thing a fellow fire sign a fellow fire sign you know our Mm -hmm. trifecta you sent me a podcast episode that she did recently for Malibu Rising with Sophia Bush called Work in Progress which I found incredibly delightful and full of interesting things two quotes that I got from it and my I mean I have a lot it brings up a lot of questions for me her quotes interesting questions like stuff you can really dig into but I don't feel like I know the answers to which is a little frustrating but she said first of all first thing she said is failing doesn't mean you can't double down Mm. right yeah I loved that. Failing doesn't mean you can't double down. I mean, people think they get burned, they fail, and they retreat. Yes. And to think that that doesn't mean you can't double down. And she was talking about it in the context of the fact that she... What? Yeah, go ahead. No, no, go ahead. Yeah, that she wrote a book that she couldn't get any representation for. And then she wrote another book. Or she did get representation but they couldn't couldn't sell it it. yep and then she wrote another book and that same agent that she was so happy that she had gotten did not want anything to do with it and so she felt at that point like the double sting of rejection I've written two books that don't don't seem it doesn't seem anybody wants and she doubled down she was like no I'm gonna I'm gonna I'm gonna go out with this book I want I think I this I believe in this book and yeah yeah. And even though the getting the agent is so hard, oh, she yeah. was like, you know what? Well, I'm going to basically try it again up and try again because mm-hmm. she believed in the story she wrote. That is, yeah. if yeah. I just think about that, cause, you know, we've been through that. Like, mm-hmm. I'm not, we all understand that, uh, you know, it's all subjective and just because one agent doesn't like it, whatever. but like once you finally get one. You want whatever to... you wrote, they you feel like okay, well, they believed in me, they believe in the story, whatever. And then to just have the conviction in yourself and in your story to be like, you know what, I'm gonna, I'm, like you said, I'm gonna double down, take even it somewhere else. Yeah, I've been told no, like this does not work, or I do not want this. Yeah, I don't know, I think that's hard. What she it did. is, it I is mean, good for but, her. Well, so then she went on to talk about how it has become 
much. I mean, she had that moment back then, right. but she, she has said that it's kind of hard to have confidence without validation. And she was saying she she spoke very candidly about her confidence being because she's not desperate to break into publishing and that there was room for her to say this is good this is bad but when you're desperate to break in and you're desperate to yeah. just get there it's harder to assess that internally you only you you write something and you send it and you're like well if this is getting rejections then it's not good and you believe that it's not good because it's been rejected as opposed to whether you believe it's not good or you believe it is good and but can you have it without that validation? She's trying to teach her, she she's trying to teach her daughter to have that confidence without the validation, but I don't know. Can I don't you, know. You're talking can... to a person who fucking lived her entire life for gold stars. Right. So, well, so, so that's oh. the that's the other part she talked about. She was like, yeah, how she gold said that. Star- Didn't yeah. she say that? The gold stars? And I was like, oh God, she, she's talking to me. She so, did. She did. Yeah. And and but she was also saying how kind of screwed up that system is because a gold star does not account for process if you if something was really easy for you Mm -hmm. it took you one second and you got an a that's the gold star but if something was really hard for you and you worked incredibly hard and you know fought obstacles and got the same a it's the same gold star but right. one, you know, is a valuable lesson and one is essentially worthless. Worthless. And yeah. That is, is, I don't know. It's complicated. I believe that. But how you, you know, how you tell someone to differentiate, especially when they're younger. Yes. When it's all kind of the same thing. But she said the goal, here, let me find. Oh, she said, you know, the the mantra now is to praise the effort and not the yes. result. Yes. And she, we've been taught that to be perfect, it has to come naturally to us. It has to be effortless. And she says the goal is to enjoy the journey of the effort. And that the gold stars don't account for the effort. And, mm-hmm. and she said, you know, if she worked really, really hard on something and so, and she said she can't live by that. She's trying to teach it to her daughter, but she can't live by it because she said if she works really hard on something and someone says, I appreciate your effort, you worked really hard on this, good job on that. But rejection, she, you know, but it's, no, I don't want it. She is devastated. And yet if she works on something for five seconds and someone just says, oh, I love this, I can sell this today. She's like, I'm a genius. This is great. Yes. Look at and me. Yeah. Yeah. And oh, oh, I mean, that is that is the trap. That is the the real trap. And And she says how hard she tries and how we're supposed to never look like we're trying. And yes, yeah, it's it's challenging. It's really know. challenging. And and you're right. She did talk about it in terms of parenting. And I think, you know, I and my husband, we really try to talk about my kids are really into sports and and but even with school and we really try to focus on the effort and, you know, just have you have you applied yourself and, and the, the work you put in more than the what did you get or how did you do? But it's hard to write as kids are like, yeah, but I lost. Or Yeah, right. At the yeah, end of the day, got, it's a binary yeah. result. Right. And I have, you know, I have one, the younger one, the Gemini, who's like mm-hmm. super competitive. He's like, yeah, it doesn't fucking matter. I lost. Like he yeah. is truly like a, I don't care. I did not win. And I'm right. like, 
white, but you played blah blah blah. You know, and he just thinks we're pan. He thinks it's bullshit. I think he, mm-hmm. no matter how many times we say it, in his mind, he's like, yeah, but I didn't like all. He's yeah. very focused on the external, yeah, result, and just like my older one does really well in school. All of a sudden, I would add. But I'm like, you know, but you need to have the work ethic. You need to know how to study. Yeah, He's like, yeah but I got a 95. So right. whatevs. And yeah. Like, right. But it, so it's just, but now yeah. that's parenting. But I think our point too is it's sort of like, how am I supposed to be teaching my kids something that I'm not so good I at can't following? Do. Yeah. Like, that's yeah. She thing. said, like, like, it's too late for me, but save yourself, kid. Yes. <laughs> exactly yeah you know and it's hard it is hard and I don't know I just don't know I don't know you and I both had the struggle when we talked about it early when we were trying to write things together like the the importance of celebrating the little things I'm just not good at it I'm not right you're not either I know we this is something that we share where is Reese and why is she not calling because other yeah (laughs) what are we doing yes And mm-hmm. but but don't you think that that has got that has paid that attitude of ours has paid dividends yes. for us? Right? Yes. Yeah. So I, I don't know. I don't know where I end up on it. I don't know where I end up on it. But right. I do know that if all you're ever doing is chasing gold stars, you will lose yourself. I, I know I've done this. You will lose yourself yes. and you will be chasing all the wrong things and end up in the, all the wrong places. And so... I agree that it cannot just it, be that. Just yeah. be that, which is it become it becomes. I mean, that sounds duh, right? It sounds clear, but it's really easy once you chase one. You just don't realize it's leading you down an entire path that you maybe yeah. never wanted to go down in the first place. So, right, right, and yeah. and you know this how many people talk about celebrating failures and what you learn from mm-hmm. failure and yeah. this and I'm like, ooh, yeah. I mean, I get that, but yeah. I don't I don't know. That's hard. I'm like, I don't I'm not so sure that ever I never got that memo. Yeah. I I don't celebrate failures, but I definitely am pretty good in the in the scheme of things for most people. I have a I have a rather large appetite for failure. I don't I don't oh, celebrate okay. them. I'm not like, right. wow, an opportunity for me to grow, you know. Right, but I'm like, right. fuck that. Put that behind me. Go. Right. Keep going. That's keep good. going. Keep going. That's actually yeah. very good. I yeah. don't like that. So yeah. like, the whole wired to be the best at everything, then where does failure come in? Because then I've messed it all up. I haven't done what I was supposed to do in my warped. I now know Virgo in Mars did yeah. this to me. Ooh, look so. at that. I love it. Look at us expanding our astrological knowledge. Yes. All right. Well, what's your what's your okay? So yeah, I loved that podcast, and there was a lot. But I I kind of wanted to talk about something I heard her say on a bunch of podcasts about writing Malibu Rising, and all of it she talks about. It reminded me a little bit of Laura Dave in terms of you know when they're writing, what is their goal? Like what is what is she trying to do? And she talks a lot about pace which Laura Dave talked about, and she prides herself on trying to write books, you know, that you could pick up on a Friday and be done on Sunday, which they both said, right? I told you Laura Dave said that, like, really focuses when she's writing on page turning. Will they want to turn the page? Yeah. And By Taylor the way, said... Is that, how yeah. does that sound to you? Well, 
that's what I want to talk about. I, oh. There's a lot of what she said. This is what I want to tell you what she says about writing that I want to be like, how does that sound to you generally? Okay. Like okay. as a writer and okay. as a reader, right? Okay. So okay. she wants you to turn the page. She wants it to be a pleasure for you. She wants readers to feel lost in the world she creates. But most of all, she wants people to have fun. She said, I just want people to have a good time. I really pour my heart and soul into trying to tell stories that matter to me. But at the end of the day, I really want people to escape. For me, storytelling has been my whole life. And as a consumer of stories, that has been an opportunity to just get a break. And I want to give that to people. I think transporting people to a house party in Malibu in 1983 could be fun. So there's a lot of fun, 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 right? That she she uses this word a lot. Like, okay. but I think she thought that with Daisy Jones, like how fun would it be to bring my readers to like the Sunset Strip in the 70s in like a rock band? And I wanted to know what you thought. So it's like as readers, you know, well, first as writers, like what are you trying to create for the reader? Like when when you write, like what kind of experience? Like she's made it clear what she's looking to create but then as readers you know what are we looking for when we sit down and open a book I mean it's different for everyone and you and I were just discussing this you know a little bit about what we what are we looking for when we read this is the plot thing okay yeah because right because this is what made me think of it like if she's writing a book thinking I just want people to have fun and escape. Mm-hmm. I want to bring them to a world where they're just like having a good time. They read it fast. Yeah. And it's it's a good time, right? I yeah. mean, she had said, Jean Ham Corliss, that I, I, she doesn't read mysteries because she doesn't care who did it. And I, and she doesn't care who did it. I care about why. Mm-hmm. And I had said, you know, I think it's interesting because I think I agree with her because. Uh, that's why I don't care about spoilers or I don't care if I know the ending. And for me, it's it's about, you know, the how we get there, you know, mm-hmm. and what well, I agree that I don't care like who did it. I but I do want to be figuring things out. It is really important for me to be figuring things out or like anticipating obstacles, anticipating, you know, reversals, like what even even in a rom-com, I, though I suppose it's quite less, just generally speaking, in the genre, you kind of know they're going to end up together. But but there are, in good ones, there are there's a lot of anticipation and a lot of what's going to happen and how is it going to happen. Uh, okay, so they're going to get together at the end of the rom-com, but how? How will they come together and how will they make this right and how will they do this? But and But and also I was saying, you know, like the guest list or Big Little Lies – where you're not only figuring out who d- did it, but you're figuring out who is dead. You're figuring out the whole thing. Who is dead? Why they're dead? Who who killed them? Like is the least of the important. It's all like what is happening here? What am I? What am I? What am I looking at here? And that right. challenge is you like something. The challenge. That is, yes, exactly. is so fun to me. Like that right. is very fun. So that's interesting. So I was thinking that a cha- that that was sort of in conflict with what Taylor was saying. But and so I said, "Oh God, I don't read for a challenge. What the fuck? Like less yeah. challenging enough." I know. And that you know, I said, "I love that C.S. Lewis line. Like we read so we're not alone." And mm-hmm. I read, you know, to feel seen. Yes, and, which I agreed with. Too. Yeah, 
Yeah. Yeah. And that it's like a comfort for me. So it's, it's a little different than what Taylor's saying about an escape, but mm-hmm. more of a comfort. And and you had a great line. I um, went back to that Fleabag quote. Where yes. the, no, the quote that I used in the Fleabag episode. It's not Fleabag's quote. That art should comfort the disturbed and disturb the comfortable. I think that is the highest praise for a piece of work. And that is what I I do want. That's why I like these unlikable female protagonists, these women who are making mistakes or doing, you know, or messes, don't have control of their lives in one aspect or another because it comforts me. It is pe- women who have damage or traumas similar to mine. That is very comforting to me to see that reflected on the screen as opposed to just a perfect woman who knows exactly what she's doing and just like you know her worst trait is what it what it oh you said it that she has curly hair with tia williams Mm -hmm. so like you know what 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 serum is she using and that these people have real problems and real baggage real shit and that i love that part of it but that and so i want to see myself in the characters but i do want to be challenged Challenged by the plot by the plot yes yeah even though you like a normal people where nothing really happens oh but their relationship and the 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 relational aspect is is complicated it is so complicated but also it's not just complicated normal people is a whodunit of the highest degree i mean a whodunit not 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 exactly who, but it is a mystery. You, what is going to happen? How is this going to come together? There is so much delayed gratification and obstacles and switchbacks yes. and disorientation as you're reading it. I mean, it honestly reads like a thriller, and yet it's about two people where nothing happens. So, so that's what that's I'm always the looking for. Of that yeah. book right there, even without your typical kind of plot type things to do Uh, that yeah 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 and in this where we was who set the fire supposed supposed to be be? were we supposed to wonder and be turning the pages to see yeah well I think I was wondering what not necessarily who said it I don't know that I was thinking that pointedly I think I was thinking what's up with this fire right like what yes but it did just it, she really waited till the very end and then it was very short and so it was just like a one you know she just he just throws the cigarette and that's it and so right. I don't think that was really the driving force of the book but I, it was right. a question throughout the whole book I was I mean I you know from the start that there is going to be a, a f- yeah fire right and so right. you you do want to know what's going what's going to happen here right I mean, so I guess, I mean, I I don't know. I guess when I heard her say that, I thought, "Mm, I don't know how I feel about that. that Yeah. Well, then, so what I wanted to ask you in the start was, as a writer, I just don't know. Now that I've been writing for some period of time and been down a long publishing journey, I think that if I finally got a book published and someone was like, I read it in 24 hours, I don't know. I'd oh. kind of be a little heartbroken. Oh, but, I think about that all the time. Think of how uh, much work they put into this and I just finished it in like a day. Oh, I never had thought about that. I, oh, I, I do. I, oh. I, I think about it as a reader 
that to me is the highest compliment that it I've is, read. but then I feel badly a little bit. Right. Like, oh wow, God. I, never, it, it, I loved it. If I, I had read it that never fast, thought I loved of it. it. Yeah, oh, I had never I think thought of, of it all the time. Now that oh, I know yeah. how much time and everything, yeah. and I'm like, oh god, and I just finished that in a day and put it back on my shelf. Right. I mean, I, I loved it. But right. I'm just like, exactly. Oh, yeah. 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 Mm-hmm. Oh boy. Yeah. But so that's where I'm a little torn. For ta- yeah, I think it's working for Taylor. I guess is my point. Like. Whatever this mindset is, it's it's brought her to a place creatively where I feel like she's right, just sort of in a way that's really fulfilling to her. Like she's she's basically said that, and there's a bunch of quotes where it's just like she feels creatively fulfilled and she's having a blast. And okay. I feel like except that, she's taking a break. Well, oh right, work life. Trying balance. to work on on some balance in work her life because um, yes. I think true. it can get very consuming. Yeah, but. But maybe that's why she's finding the success, I guess, is my point now, because she's having fun and she's thinking, I want to make this fun for my readers and therefore it's then fun for her. I don't know if it's a chicken or the egg, but, right. but it's working for her. Okay. You know? Like yeah. maybe it's like setting her free a little. Yeah. Well, all right. And she's keeping going on it because she's yeah. going to have another one apparently. So Yes. The 90s. And all the shit's being adapted. I mean, oh, I, this book from Malibu Rising, it is in development for with Hulu. Okay. With, with Liz Tegelar. Oh, the right. Little yes. Fire. Right? Remember? <gasps> yes. And Amy Talkington is the yes. writer who did Little Fire. So, yes. oh, so, so she's basically excited. working with the two women we love who did Little Fires Everywhere. And her point was, I know that there are a lot of places or that this could have landed but hello like look at what hulu did with normal people little fires like i'm so excited to see this changed i loved little fires ever the book and i loved that the show was markedly different in places and so i'm so excited to see how they'll take some license with malibu rising because i think there's it's ripe for that and i think they'll they'll make it good and then you also sent me wasn't it they her and her husband are adapting one true true loves yes Mm -hmm. and that's that's gonna be a movie yeah and apparently it is a male director andy fickman i don't know him but Okay. There's already a cast. It's got Philip yeah. Sue, yes, um, from Hamilton, that's right. and yeah. So I don't know. I mean, she's really on a roll. I mean, she is, is, but it's interesting because she didn't do any of the writing, or she's not involved in the writing for either mm-hmm. of the TV shows. But the the film, she's she's on it. So that's exciting yeah. too. I know. So. Yay! All right. Well, my crystal ball is incredibly short i did this with laura dave i'm doing it with taylor jacobs reed can you please write a book about carrie soto oh, i mean my God. right that, that that woman has about you know 250 words and she is so alive this awesome tennis player she's kick ass yeah mm-hmm. and then she has this moment where she's like screw you and I'm sorry Nina and she just defies every expectation of a of a mistress that I think anyone has and comes out on top in in that little space she's given I can see an entire book about her I love it really does shine you're right just like was it Jake who was this yes Jake from from the last thing he told me I want these little characters I want so much more of them and it's already built in there it's not even like 
I, I think you take a little character and make something out of it. It is, these are already in there and there's so much. I, I want to go with that. So, and she's a tennis star. So I could, totally I know. I thought I'm you, like, yes. I, I thought could totally you'd... get into that. Oh my, and oh yeah. my gosh, yeah. that's the tennis player. Okay. Yes. See, and I went so mainstream conventional, just of course, I felt like, what's going to happen with Nina? I just thought, mm. isn't that the question, particularly the way this is left? I right. mean, she's on a plane, right? Flying mm-hmm. to Portugal or it's so ripe for, okay, well, what happens what's then? Yeah. I know what's next for her. And because I'm not you and I don't write the best crystal balls ever, <laughs> I didn't. I didn't fully explore it. But in my head, I was thinking, all right, I just want her to really find her voice and who mm. she is. And that had started happening towards the end. Definitely. And I sort of view this whole time in Portugal where she's surfing and, you know, what did she say? Like have, eating the fresh catch of the day and just just taking the time to sort of figure out who she is and what she wants. And then for some reason I had her like my head like writing a memoir or something Ooh. not because i have any reason to believe she's a writer but she is the child of a famous celebrity right, right? had a tragic end for her mother she is i think a pretty well-known swimsuit model from what we can tell yeah. so she's sort of a public figure and i feel like after her time in portugal she's gonna have some awakening and gonna write about a in a memoir this is this is what i saw for her oh i like that i, don't know. I, don't I can know. i like that interesting she's gonna tell her story mick reva's daughter but she's... it's a little daisy jones didn't daisy jones do that didn't she oh write my gosh her... right i think she did oh right? and i she did not it? copy that but that is no. a great point it's no. in my head probably no because you because different from daisy jones I, I think nina has a whole other reason for writing and what she would yes. write, right? She's working through a lot of stuff. Yeah. Oh, I love it. I, yeah. I'm on board. I'm on board okay. there. Okay. All right. Okay. So who won the book for you, Kate? Or what won? Oh, what yes. Won? Okay. Yeah. So what won for me is, I'm calling it The Vibe. Because mm. I kind of said that to you when I started reading it. And you said, well, that's what you said about Daisy Jones. And I said, well, at least I'm consistent. There must yeah. be something about Taylor's books where maybe it's her whole fun thing and creating these worlds. But I, I think in this case, it's largely attributable to the setting. I don't know. But I was really digging the whole Malibu surfing scene aspect. And I know you touched on it a little earlier, but... I really felt like I was there and I was like in the vibe. And I, unlike you, you know, you're saying like you're not in the surfing or whatever. But for me, like I grew, you know, I mean, I grew up in the Hamptons by the beach. I still live here now and I'm not a surfer. But like for me, everyone I knew was a surfer. Like that is such a part of my youth. Like all my guy friends, which it's funny now, I do think young little girls do surf but I will just tell you back in my day it was mostly the guys who did it but they were all surfers and you know we would when we like snuck away and went to party we went to the beach I mean when you Mm -hmm. cut school you went to the beach after prom like it was the beach like to me the beach was like so it just has memories of just good times and fun and 
you know, now my kids are growing up going to the same beaches. So it's sort of all full circle. And I think she did capture that whole vibe for me really well. And like the mm. seafood restaurant and yeah, I could just kind of see it and smell it. I don't know. And again, that's it's largely because of, you know, my experiences and where sure. I live. I've never been to sure. Malibu, but like right. for me that whole scene I could sort of see. Yes, I think she nailed the vibe. My who won is incredibly different. (laughs) Taylor Jenkins Reid does infidelity like no one else to me. So what won this book and also just, and also Daisy Jones and Evelyn Hugo, I just think she does infidelity really well. She's just writing a point of view I don't think we get in a lot of other places. There's a lot of the talk about betrayal and it's the the act of it. And she really does love triangles well. Everybody gets a full perspective. Yes. And and this is never or it's rarely, you know, she doesn't focus much on mix right because we just assume he's having these kind of dalliances but with Daisy Jones with Daisy and Billy and Camilla and then here with Ashley and Hud and Jay and also Brandon Carrie and Nina I mean these are complicated situations that where it's really hard to say what's going on and what's yeah very nuanced and just a really complete picture of dynamics that are not so it's it's easy to put in black and white but when you really look at it you realize it's not at all it's so many shades of gray but in particular as if that's not enough nuance in particular what I really love is her hammering in this idea that the person who cheats is like everyone wants to say to the person who's been cheated on like oh it's not your fault yeah you know it has nothing to do with you And I think that's probably really hard for someone who's been cheated on to comprehend and take in. But if there's any way anyone could get through to them, I think it's Taylor Jenkins-Reed. She just does a really good job of portraying the person who cheats as the person who is fundamentally lacking, who is, and it's in different ways. Sometimes it's weakness. Sometimes it's feeling bad about yourself and Mm -hmm. being in a really bad place or being unsure, insecure, a, a lot of insecurity, which I think is just kind of true to life. Yes. She does it in a way that's true to life. It doesn't feel dramatized or exaggerated. And it just, and it doesn't even get to the, I'm trying to make you feel better to the person who's been cheated on. It really shows the person who is cheating as the person who is kind of lost or weak or yes. insecure in in whatever's happening and, and missing something whatever yes. it is inside themselves there's there's a lot happening yes and so one of places i saw this i thought done really well was on page 264 it's and we kind of get it from a quick jump into Brandon's head here and he's with Carrie and we just see Carrie's badass again crystal ball I want more of this we see her winning crushing every single opponent with force and determination and the night after he won he Brandon ran to Carrie Carrie at the hotel the two of them raging champions pacing in an elevator which I love that energy Brandon felt victorious and vulnerable gleeful and unguarded I told you I told you you could be vicious, Carrie says, grinning. Mm. I guess you've got my number, Brandon says. 
there was a pause at the elevator rise. They end up in the room together. They have sex. He feels like how strong she is, how powerful she is. And for one small moment while he was lying underneath her, he thought he'd found the other half of himself. When he woke up the next morning, his head throbbed with the realization of what he had done. But just before Carrie left Paris, she told him she thought just maybe this could be something serious. And that made him wonder if all of this wasn't just cheating, but perhaps something else, like a love affair. He'd never thought it before, but maybe Nina was wrong for him. Maybe that's why she made him feel so small. And maybe Carrie was right for him. And that was why she made him feel so strong. Which, I mean is just again so nuanced and he she goes on to say like Carrie became his good luck charm it's so nuanced and you don't know the answer but what you do absolutely know is that Brandon doesn't know what the fuck he's doing he's really lost and he doesn't and he's looking outside to fill it he you know he's blaming Nina for making him feel small and the same side of blaming is still that he puts it on Carrie that Carrie makes him feel good it's but, neither right. one of these women are are his anna we are the answer to his problems right. it is something right. in him that he needs to address and i just think she does that so beautifully without being preachy without being heavy-handed she really gives that point of view that you could read that and go you know what you know if you're nina or carrie you read that and in, in brandon's head and you go this guy's just fucked up he doesn't know what he's doing <laughs> like this yeah. isn't about me i'm glad right. in this moment i i made you feel strong and the next moment i'll make you feel small or and the same probably the same for nina i'm sure at some point he made her feel strong uh and capable and then the next minute she's making him feel he'll feel small but that's him that's on him it really is yes. and i find that incredibly impressive and yes I just don't see it I just don't see that it it being described or explored infidelity explored in the way that Taylor Jenkins Reid is doing it over and over and over and I've never heard her talk about that so I I wonder how intentional it is right that's what I was just going to say I mean at least particularly in this one it's not a huge part Mm -mm. of the Brandon I don't of the whole story, but I guess actually when I think of Mick and June, yes, it is. But but I didn't that one. I didn't feel it the same way as I do. You're right with the Brandon Carey Nina love triangle and um, Ashley and Ashley Hud J too. Them right, you know. That, yes, yeah. it's true. It's true, and yeah, that doesn't seem to be the focal point. Is what I'm thinking of the story, but there's actually a lot of examples right Mm -hmm. there. So why do I say that? And you're right. I mean, I haven't heard her talk that much about it, but she doesn't. And she did. I mean, we talked about it, how, and we talked about it a lot in Daisy Jones. Yes. In the way, but we were talked about it in the way of like, who is Billy's real love? Is it Camilla or is it Daisy? But. And that was much more of a love triangle story. I mean, I just felt like that was sort of more of the thrust of the story. Yeah. I don't know. This comes up in, like I'm saying, a lot of different avenues here. And yeah, really, and you're right, even in that one, I mean, it was very nuanced and very complicated. And there was no right Mm. or wrong. And she's the bad one. And Mm. she's the good, you know, I mean. Yeah. 
and she, and his right, she's good at this and his shit was totally separate from either woman right it was yes he had his own shit going on so yes and and that he would try to fill with a partner with a woman with a songwriter you know it, he did it to daisy he did it to camilla and he did it to random women trying mm. to to make himself feel better by by you know stepping out and right it's that's not it's not going to get you there i feel like that right. is the constant refrain and it's coupled with you know it's not as black and white it's not as yes. villain villain good guy villain hero as you think it is it's exactly. it depends who's telling the story yeah yeah so. and it's it's realistic yeah. like you're saying i mean it's it's so easy to say oh yeah that's the that person's the cheater or the right. bad guy or whatever but it, the real world is, yes, is far more complicated than that. And you're right. She does seem to have the ability to have a pulse on that. She does. And again, without being heavy handed, without right. being preachy, she never comes down on like what is right and what is wrong. She doesn't. She Because I think probably, I would guess, she realizes it's kind of not possible to tell. <laughs> right, 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 right. So takeaways this is sort of this is a question and and it's sort of related to what i was saying about taylor's sort of writing career but you know i just wonder like do you do you have to change course or sort of get out of your comfort zone to ignite your career and like get on the bestseller list like i was thinking this with laura dave when we spoke mm. i don't know why they remind me so much of each other maybe right. they both live in california and are married to screenwriter husbands i don't know okay uh, they are contemporaries in age i guess and they wrote you know i don't know but i i do think that we were sort of talking about that with her where she sort of switched genres and then had her biggest success and for taylor this is obviously now her third book in this sort of it's not a series but along these lines Mm -hmm. um but what she said i heard her say that once she got out of contemporary settings because her first few books were sort of contemporary women's fiction is when her career broke open and she said so there was Evelyn Hugo in the 60s like we said Daisy Jones was in the 70s and now this is set in the 80s and she's squarely now in the historical fiction genre and she said what broke open for her with those is that she realized she loves research she loves research she's like I don't know how I didn't know this before but research has sort of unlocked it for her so researching that error like Mm -hmm. whatever it is for each of her books really helps her sort of go into these other worlds and explore them and and learn about it and i'm just thinking so is that what it not the answer isn't you know if you write contemporary women's fiction you can't you know you're never (laughs) gonna have a bestseller i don't mean that but i was thinking with them is it that they just decided to sort of, or even um, Christina Baker Klein, mm. right now again, she went right. from, she went from contemporary women's fiction to historical fiction to different kind of historical fiction. Hers mm-hmm. really seems like historical, historical to me, right. but, but hers was actually, I she didn't say this, but it sounds like from listening to her that was once she started sort of researching and whatever, and what so, so, and now that she's done this, Taylor, that's when she's had her most successful books and again i'm not saying it's that you can have success staying in the contemporary women's fiction but is it that when you sort of 
go outside your comfort zone mm. or find a new lane. Like, I don't know. It's mm. just finding the thing that invigorates you, which for mm. her, she realizes it was research. I don't know. But they mm. both sort of, the last two we've talked about, I've really... Yeah, but what's the connection path? to... 